This morning you're going to be blessed to hear a missionary couple that have given their lives to serve the Lord in a way that's very unusual. Uh, in fact, Tim and Kathy, would you come up here right now? These folks have lived um, a lot of their lives in the jungle. And uh, they, well, uh, Tim, you've jumped out of a helicopter onto a place, a very nomadic tribe, a very uh, lost tribe. And you, when was that? What year was that? 2000. 2000. And how long, how long was it after that that you came, Kathy? Oh, it wasn't too long. Maybe a month or so after that I moved in. And all the time, your lives, you were worried about, this was a very murderous tribe. They murdered people just as a matter of fact. It's just They just did it. And people in their own families. And we heard about that today. How long were you there? You lived we, we were in there five years. Five years. Okay. And in that five years, what all happened? Well, I guess that would take the whole rest of the service and more. But you translated, you learned their language. You both can speak the language? It's been a while now. Been a while now. Anyway, I've been hearing you talk that language. And, but the mission you have right now is to encourage people to uh, get involved in the Great Commission. It says go into all the world and preach the gospel to every person. And the Bible says that he that wins souls is wise. So the greatest thing we can do in this world is fulfill that commission and because it's the wisdom of God that compels us. And uh, so you have how many children? We have three children. And two of them are in ministry right now or training for ministry? What, tell, tell us about three kids. Okay, so the oldest, um, Brant and his wife, they have a little, little guy, Jackson, who's almost a year old. Um, he plans on starting, he went through a Bible training already, got his carpentry, and um, hopes to start our training with Ethnos come August. Our second one, Tyler, finished Bible school, um, getting plugged in in a church in Sarnia. And he also wants to um, finish up his Bible degree and then go through our training as well and head over to Reach and Unreach People Group. And Alyssa, our youngest, is just starting um, Bible school now and is loving it. That's such a wonderful uh, testimony. Uh, all of your children serving God, and and you've somehow passed on the call of God to them, and that's that's a tremendous testimony for any parents. Um, if you had tens of billions of dollars and gave them to your kids when you passed on, that wouldn't be a, a iota of worth compared to imparting into them that mission of serving Jesus and winning the lost. So you're going to hear something. By the way, at the end of the service, we're going to take up an offering for this couple, and uh, we'll talk about mo that more uh, later. But, uh, Tim, go ahead and share what's on your heart. Thank you. Okay. You want to stay with me, honey? <laughs> it is really, really wonderful to be here. We have had a great weekend. I've loved it. There's no question in my mind that this is where God put his greatest blessing. I don't say this in churches, but I love this area. Beautiful. I'm actually thrilled to say I'm a blue noser, born in Halifax, spent a very influential two years in my life there, and then my parents headed off to Indonesia to the mission field. So 
very short time in my life was spent in Halifax. I visited a lot since then. When I was five, actually, my two years, my parents left Halifax. My dad was in the Air Force, stationed at Dartmouth as an officer. And then they went overseas to Indonesia in 1974. They served there 33 years or so. And um, they brought the gospel to the Laoje tribe, a people that had been almost never contacted. So I grew up in a tribe. The only contact the Laoje tribe had had with the outside world was during World War II, Japanese soldiers came in and shot a bunch of people. And then um, shortly before my parents went there, another man had gone into the tribe. The people didn't know who he was, and we don't know who he was, and they killed him. And then my parents showed up. And they did not kill us. And um, today in the Laoji tribe, there's thousands and thousands of believers. It's a strong church, and they're reaching Muslims along the coast at an incredible, exciting rate. Last time I was in there, 200 young people were being baptized. Like, that's just God doing his thing. Um, so I have five siblings. All five of us grew up on the mission field, and this is a God thing. But all five of us are serving with ethnos all over the world right now. And so my parents have five grandchildren, and their five oldest grandchildren are all heading overseas again. Three of them are ours. So all three of our children. And I don't know if I passed the call on or if they got to see what God is doing and the Lord used that to call them. Either way, the Lord is working and it thrills our hearts. And yes, young people, there is no greater gift you can ever give your parents than to choose to walk with God. Wherever he puts you, whether it's overseas or here, that's really irrelevant. Missions is not about geography. It's about a faithfulness to the call in all of our lives to reach souls. I'm going to try and keep this message under three hours, if that's at all possible. I would like to just share with you a little bit of a story of a God thing. Can I do that? My, my wife and I and our three children went to Indonesia in 1998, January, and um, we went. I grew up there, but my wife did not know Indonesian. And I did not speak formal Indonesian. I spoke Indonesian as a kid would speak it. But I did not have enough to get up and preach. And I did not have the right kind of language to go to a government office. Many languages of the world are like this. There's everyday language. And then there's formal level. Formal level reverses all the structure of sentences and use different words. And you much more complicated. And that's what I had to learn. And so we went there in 98. We weren't sure where the Lord had put us, but we served with Ethnos Canada. And as Ethnos Canada, our passion is to bring the gospel to those that have never, ever heard. And they will never hear unless someone goes amongst them, learns their language, their way of life, and becomes, in a sense, as much as a white man can become as much as one of them, one of them, and then share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus did, right? He came to this earth and he became one of us. You know what? Jesus was always different. He was God. And he could do miracles and things nobody else could do, but that's because he was God and he had a message to bring this world. And he calls us to do the same thing. And so we went to Indonesia, not sure where God would put us, but after we were there about two years, the Lord led us in. A people group had just been discovered by the air. It looked like a tribe in the jungle, and the Bible calls any people group ethnos. That's why our name is Ethnos Canada, because we're led to the people groups that have never heard. And there was an ethnos there amongst the jungle. So we went out and we started flying around. Sure enough, we could see hundreds of homes, and we thought, there's a people that has never been discovered. We didn't know what language they would speak, and we did not even know the name of the people group. So we flew out there. We did a lot of praying, because if you're familiar with Irian Jaya, that's the old name. Now it's Papua. It's the Indonesian half of Papua New Guinea, the other half of the island. 
But we were in Papua, then Irian Jaya. And as we um, flew out there, and we looked around and thought, these people are so isolated, the chances of them being cannibals was very, very high. But the government didn't know they existed. We didn't know what they were like, so we just had assumed they were cannibals. And we spent, obviously, a lot of time praying and asking God's people, everybody we knew, to please pray. We would love to tell the story, but it's tough to tell it when you've been eaten. And so um, we would have probably given them heartburn, too, anyways. So anyways, we flew out. I'm going to make a long story short, but as we flew out, we were trying to make contact with these people, and as we were flying around trying to find a place amongst their homes to land, and again, we had no idea how we were going to do this. We knew that we did not speak their language, and we knew they did not speak any outside languages. Nobody around that neighboring tribes, which are all pretty far away, the closest way, if we had hiked in, there would be 20 days of hike through the jungle, maybe 30. And so it's hard to carry enough food. So the only way we could reach them was to jump out of a helicopter. And so as we were about to come in, we could see these homes in the jungle. And we could see women and children jumping out of the homes. They were running into the jungle. But men were jumping on. Every one of them had a big handful of arrows and a bow in their hand. And I'm thinking, that's not a very welcoming gesture. And there was at least 12 men running around this garden site that we were trying to land. And we were getting closer and closer to the ground because it was tight trees. And we were going slow. And on my side of the, my brother-in-law, my sister's on our team too, but my brother-in-law and I were in the helicopter with our two pilots, and um, we were coming in for landing. We could see about 12 men lined up on the bush line on my side of the helicopter, about the distance of this, this here church, so not real far from us, every one of them holding a handle, handful of arrows. As we were getting closer and closer, I'm thinking to myself, Lord, I think this is a bad idea. I, and I'm wishing I was the pilot, but I'm in the back, and I can't redirect where this helicopter goes. And he's getting lower and lower, and I'm starting to pray. And I tell you what, your life, your prayer life changes when you're about to meet some cannibals. And um, as we got right down about six feet from the ground, there's stumps and there's trees, and the pilot told us, you're going to have to jump. And that's when I thought of that verse, when it says in John 1.14 that the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And I said, Lord, I'm going to hang on to that, that you have a plan. Somehow we're going to live long enough to share your goodness with these people. And so as we were in that helicopter, the pilot got six feet from the ground. He says, I can't get lower. You have to jump. Brother John, they're on my side of the helicopter. So I opened the door, and I'm thinking, boy, should I do this? And I looked over to see what Steve thought, and he had already jumped. That's my brother-in-law. And also I saw his fuzzy head pop out on this side of the helicopter. So I had the chainsaw. And the purpose of our chainsaw was to clear the trees so if the helicopter, if we started shooting, he could come in quicker and get us out. But as also if they started shooting, we didn't want to carry guns besides the fact it's illegal. But we didn't come to shoot them. We came to bring them goodness of God. And so we had a chainsaw, though, thinking if they start to shoot, maybe if we fire up this chainsaw and make a bunch of noise, they'll run. We had no idea. Here's this pounding helicopter, and they weren't running. So anyways, I threw the chains out to Steve, and I jumped down beside him, and I kept my earphones, and I'm talking to the pilot. I said to the pilot, do not go up until I tell you it's safe. Not for him, <laughs> but for me. And um, I'm looking at these warriors. There's about 12 of them all lined up. They all had their bows and arrows. There's not a single smile on their face. And I'm saying, Lord, what are you going to do? Lord, how are we going to know it's safe? Lord, what do we do next? How are you going to... But I had forgotten something, which is what I want to talk about in God's word, is this whole thing of bringing the gospel to all people was his plan. It's his agenda. It's his job. It's not mine. I just got to be there for the journey and the ride. And as I'm looking at this people, God was working. These people had never, ever, ever seen a white person. They had seen helicopters and airplanes since World War II, and they just always assumed these were evil spirits flying through the sky. Now suddenly one is coming out of the sky, and for the first time they've ever seen this, two white men. 
are jumping out. And as we jumped out, God was working in their life. You have the Ohio DVD, and it's one of the stories from one of those men that day who watched this happen. It's his perspective. It's on YouTube, but Pastor has it. So as I jumped out, we're looking at these people. Steve is beside me saying, God, now what? Now it's your move, God. It's a chess game. What's, what's going to happen next? Suddenly, all those men put their bows and arrows down on the ground against a stump, and they started walking towards us. And as we know them now, that was highly unusual for them to put their bows and arrows down in the presence of strangers. They started walking towards us, and as they did that without their bow and arrows, I said to the pilot, I think it's safe. You can go. So I took the earphones off. I threw them in the helicopter, jumped up, closed the door, and off he went. I'm not totally sure of your eschatology, but this is what I felt that day. If I was to miss the rapture, this is what it would feel like. <laughs> there goes my last touch. Helicopter goes up, and we're looking at these guys. are coming closer and closer. And they put their fingers out like this towards us. What does that mean? I'm going to eat you. No, it does not mean that. As they put their fingers out towards us, we'd seen other tribes in that island do that too. And that's how they shake hands. Let me show you. It's hard with the mic here, but... So it's quite a loud snap, especially if you had the mic right by it. But they start, we'd seen other tribes do that. So when they did this, we knew what that was. So we put our fingers out to greet them. But then <laughs> literally Steve and I's knees were just shaking. We were knocking. The hair was crawling all over my head. I had hair. What is going to happen? They put their fingers out. We started snapping knuckles. But then the greeting in their language was exactly the bomb of Gilead, the, the hope that we are scared hearts needed. Back at Babel, when he created the Moy language, we didn't know their name at the time. It took a long time to figure out they're the Moy people. But back at Babel, he gave them a word. I'm convinced it was at Babel. Maybe it wasn't. A greeting that would be perfect for our hearts to welcome the gospel to this people. The greeting that came out of their mouth was this. They snapped knuckles and they went, Abba. Now what is that? What is Abba in Scripture? It's Father. It's what Jesus called his God, his Father, his Daddy. And then literally in the Greek, it's Daddy. And when I heard Abba, I thought of all the words in this world that put my eyes back on who is in control. And this is real. When they went Abba, I looked up at the sky. Seriously, God? Like, that was just too much. He was here. This was his plan, his agenda, his passion to bring his gospel to these people. We were in it for the ride. We said, guess what we said right back to them? I'm doing great, sir, and how are you doing? No. We said, Abba, right back at them. They said, Abba. Pretty soon we're all going, Abba, 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 Abba. It was just, oh, it was exciting. God did something from that day, and I'm going to show you a clip later, a little later on of one of the believers who's now with the Lord sharing his three-minute testimony. In three minutes, he's going to go from the beginning of Scripture to the very end, and it'll blow your mind. God has done an amazing thing there. That was in the year 2000, 19 years ago. It took us five, well, four years to learn their language, then a year to begin get ready to start teaching. But my wife got extremely sick at that time. We went out to see if she would get better, and she'd been sick for a year in the tribe. And during that time, as we were um, trying to force heal her, <laughs> Laura, what are you doing? Our field chairman was killed in a car crash in Hurricane Katrina in Florida. I became the field director, 
And um, the Lord just started to redirect our lives. We've never lived in the Moy tribe since then. We've made many visits. We're really praying about going back this year at Christmas time. We like to go back about every five years to just be with the church again and touch base with our brothers and sisters in the Lord there. But since that time, we've had other roles. And then in 2009, I was asked to come back and serve as the director for Ethnos Canada. And um, again, wow, Lord, our hearts to be back in the jungle. But the Lord has us here. Now it's been nine years we've been here. And we just got a request last year to go back to Indonesia and help open up our new families to a whole new province of Indonesia and get into new jungles and new islands with the gospel. We're just, we're not sure what God has for us. We sure appreciate your prayers. And by the way, in the back, in the foyer there in the entrance, I put a bunch of different literature out there. Please, please, please take some. There's a magazine. It's kind of every three months we put out a new Ethnos magazine. It's just updates what's happening around the world. People groups getting the gospel. In your bulletin, there's a little insert there about off the grid and open house. That's basically our training program. Our campus is in Ontario. And um, we have events happening. There's two events in there. I know that's a long ways from here. But if the Lord would ever lead you to take a vacation to Ontario, please stop in and see us. We'd love to have you there and show you what God is doing around the world and be a part of that. But that's what that insert in your bulletin is about. We have just started opening up new works amongst the First Nations and the Inuit in the far, far north. Pray with us. We need God's people praying. But take a, a bookmark to remind you. And there's all kinds of updates online on that one you can look at. There's a whack of other things. One more thing. There's calendars. Please take the calendars. I'm told they're no good next year. So take them. Here's a picture. It's not a great-looking picture of any great-looking family, but it's a family desperately need in prayer. Would you take them to remind you to pray for us? Our family's on the back. Pray for them. All three of our children are heading back overseas. They would crave your prayers. If God's people are praying, we have nothing to worry about. It's when God's people stop praying that I get petrified. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 26. And let's just open in a word of prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, what you did there in the Moy tribe was 19 years ago as we jumped out of that helicopter, and you did your thing. Lord, it's been exciting to see. It's exciting to see the Moy now send their own missionaries out to other people groups. Lord, we want to praise you for that, but now this morning we need you again, and we need you, Lord, as you open your word to thrill our hearts with you, your heart, your passion, and Lord, would you ignite us with a desire and a and a understanding of the privilege we have of serving you in mission, in reaching this world. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that it's not about geography. We are a part of reaching this world wherever we are. We are all called to that. Lord, would you just help me as I speak this morning to be true to your word? Protect these folks, Lord, from anything that's not of you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much. In your name we pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 26. I am going to go, for the sake of time, through a number of passages here, and we're going to go through pretty quick, but I'm not going to be sharing anything that is new to you. In fact, but I might be giving some more clarity or some, some, some phrases that you've never noticed before. I know there's a phrase here in Matthew chapter 26. I went through Bible college, and I have served as a pastor in New Jersey. I served overseas in Indonesia for 12 years. I grew up in the mission field, for Pete's sake. But there's a little phrase I'd never, ever noticed until recently. 
And that's a phrase I want us to point out today. Because I think it's a phrase that we as a people choose to ignore. I never saw it, but I think I chose to miss it. Matthew chapter 26. It's an interesting, it's an incredible chapter. Matthew chapter um, 25 is the last of five sermons recorded in the book of Matthew. There's five sermons, which is awesome. If you ever want to pick up a quick sermon, just want to read it quickly, grab one of Jesus' sermons. They're amazing. <laughs> There's five in the book of Matthew recorded. The last sermon Jesus gave was too much for the religious rulers of the day, and they decided this man must die. So in Matthew chapter 26, we have the religious people deciding that Jesus has to die. Can you imagine? The Son of God, his message is bad. He must die. In our own ignorance, we can get to that point. So we have the Last Supper in verse 26. And so Jesus is initiating communion and the Last Supper with his disciples. And then after the Last Supper, it tells us in verse 30, that when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives, and as they're heading out to the Mount of Olives, it seems they're walking down a trail, and by the goodness of God, Kathy and I got to go to Israel a couple years ago. It didn't cost us a penny. That's the grace of our God. Grace upon grace, as we sang earlier. And as I've been to this area, and it's a trail, I can just imagine that dark night as they're walking down this rocky trail, and there's these olive trees ahead, and Jerusalem behind them, and they're walking along, and all of a sudden, Jesus looks at the disciples and he makes a statement that they did not like. In fact, he had made a very similar statement only shortly before in Matthew at the Mount of Transfiguration. He had, just before that Mount of Transfiguration, he told his disciples, the Son of Man must die. Of course, Peter, it tells us in Matthew, personally rebuked Jesus for saying that. Jesus, you cannot die. You're God. You can't die. That's, that, that's, not, that, that's not part of the program. But Jesus says, no, I must die. In fact, you must also take up your cross and follow me. Of course, Peter didn't like that message either. And here we have it again. Verse 31, Jesus says, then said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written. Now, this is important. There's three things he's going to say here that the first two you're probably very aware of. He first of all says, I will strike the shepherd. And he's actually quoting from Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7. Jesus says, he's quoting from Zechariah as God's plan that he will strike the shepherd. And we know, because we see very shortly after this, in fact, the next day, that Jesus is struck. He's crucified. He paid the price for your sin and my sin. He paid the price for what we all deserve, which is death, eternal separation. He says, no, I will die for them. So that we might live. And then he says this. And the sheep of the flock will be scattered. The disciples are like, well, that could be us. You know us. We're very, very faithful. Verse 32. But after I have been raised. After I have been killed and raised. He's already said this about three other times. Very clearly the shepherd, the son of God, must be killed. and But he will rise on the third day. And now here he says, and after I've been struck, I will be raised. I will conquer death. Death will not keep me dead. And this concept is one of the most important concepts we as a Christian could ever, ever focus on. The fact that Jesus was struck, 
killed, but he rose again. He has total and complete victory over death. We face death on this earth. We'll never face death in heaven. We do here a lot. And death is always painful. It tells us in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 55 and 56, that he, Paul is writing, he's talking about that he did rise, and he says, Oh, death, where is your sting? Death should be a powerful sting, but for the believer it's not. And then he says, death, where is your victory? Most of the world, all of the world that does not know Jesus Christ cannot fathom death as a victory. Death is our victory. That's where we graduate from this difficult, sin-cursed, trial-filled earth to eternity with him. Death was conquered when Jesus rose, and the world does not know that. I grew up in a tribe that when somebody died, everybody becomes petrified of that person. He's dead. The relatives, the wife, the children, the uncles, the aunts, the friends, they all, all start thinking, oh, did I ever offend him? Because now his ghost or spirit is going to come get me. They're petrified at death because of what might happen to them now. It is unbelievable what the enemy Satan has done with death. I know a tribe, a good friend of mine that serves in Indonesia. When anybody dies in that tribe, especially a man, a husband, the, they take that body, put it on a rack, and the wife has to sit under it for one or two months. To, it all rots on top of her. She can't move. She must stay there and let the rot. And they feed her, but she must stay until it's a full skeleton. All the flesh is rotten off, dripped on her for one or two months. And when it becomes a clean skeleton in the hot sun of the tropics, then she's free to go. Can you imagine the, the dripping of your husband on you day after day after day? And that is the only way they can be free of the fear of his death. There's people, groups in this world, that will burn their wives with the husband. There's people, groups like, you guys remember Egypt? Remember way back then, the pyramids? You hear the pyramids? The wives were buried with the husbands, but the wives are buried alive with the husbands. That's horrible. That's what the enemy does with death. But for us, it's a victory. We could go on and on. The Moy tribe where we served... When somebody died, they were petrified. Now what's going to happen? You know what? I have sat by so many funerals. And our funerals, they're pretty in a sense. They're in a coffin. They're clean. We close them up. We never smell them. And we put them under the ground. In the Moy tribe, when a man would die, we would sit around that rotting corpse for days and days and days. We would watch it rot and the smell. It was hard to eat. But they would all do it. And I would do it to observe how they did it. What is their life? What does death mean to them? We had to watch it. It was painful. Sitting by a dead corpse for four days in the hot sun of the tropics, steady, and you don't leave. You kind of lay down and sleep there, and I'm watching what they're doing. They eat, so I would eat. But they're poking the body now and then, and it, just, it was horrible. But they would never bury that body until each of his wives, and they would have two or three usually, each wife had to have a new husband before they could bury it. Right away. Every child of his would be given off to other families. The whole family was farmed out. His bow and arrow had to be given to different people. All of his possessions, which wasn't very much, had to be farmed out before they could bury that body. And when everybody was content that his stuff, his wife, his children had been taken care of, then they would bury it. It would take four to five days to work it all out. There's nothing pleasant about death for those that don't know Jesus. It is... Uh, utter failure and depression. 
But if we know our Lord, it's a separation till we meet again with perfect bodies, free of everything. Jesus says, I will be raised. He has conquered death. But listen to this next phrase. I don't know if you've seen it before. It shocked me when I saw it. Then he says, in verse 32, I will go before you to Galilee. What is that? What? <laughs> he says, I will be struck. I will rise. And then I will go before you. I will get there before you get there. I'm going to go to Galilee. Now, what does he mean by that? I read that, and I read that, and thought, Lord, what's this? I have celebrated Good Friday a lot. That's when he was struck. I celebrated Easter. That's when he rose. But what is this? Go before us to Galilee. Would you go with me to Matthew chapter 28? Last chapter of Matthew. We're gonna, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but let's just go through some parts of Matthew chapter 28. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. I love this. Two Marys. I have a hard time with names. This was easy. Mary and Mary. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door. Why in the world did the angel roll back the stone? To let Jesus out? Why was the stone rolled back? The stone was rolled back for you and I, so we could see in. Jesus didn't need that stone moved. He's out. He's gone. That stone was moved for you and for I, so we have access. We can see in. And it's recorded what took place. What a beautiful thing. We live so often as believers. We live from a position of we're working towards victory. We're working towards accomplishing. We're working towards... No. We work from victory. Victory's already been accomplished. The stone was already rolled back. The world doesn't know that. Jesus is raised. And we spend so much time trying to get to victory, but we should be living from victory, from conquest, from the top of the world, because we're going to see in a moment, we live from the most powerful position this world can ever fathom. So the stone was rolled back from the door, and the angel was sitting on it. His countenance was like lightning, and his clothing as white as snow, and the guards shook, and they fell over like dead men. And the angel looks at Mary and Mary, and he, the angel says this. First he says <laughs> a phrase that is said all throughout Scripture, over and over and over and over again. It says, don't be afraid. Brothers and sisters, we struggle with fear, every one of us. And that phrase comes up, I just looked recently, best I could count, about 244 times in Scripture. He wants us to know we don't need to be afraid. And the angel says, don't be afraid. Because I would be afraid, honestly. I'd be petrified right now. What's going on? These bright flash and stones rolling and guards falling. I'm still standing like, well, what's up with this? They were afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He's risen. And as he said, and then he says, now come, see the place where he lay. Come on, come on, ladies, come in here. Stone's back, door's open. Come see. Look at it. He's not there anymore. He's alive. And go. Now, this is what's cool. He says, and go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen from the dead. 
This angel says, ladies, there's something you need to know. Jesus is risen. There was a thousand things he could have told them. There was 10 billion things he could have told them. But he just chooses a couple things. This is what's most important. Jesus has just risen. This is what you need to know. He's arisen, for sure. I, he just showed the power of God. The grave is empty. He says, he's risen from the, de de or from the dead. And indeed, he's going before you where? To Galilee. Is that a clue? He's risen, and he's going to Galilee. Brothers and sisters, the Savior of this world has just been crucified, the most important event, the climax of entire history, and is summed up in two statements by the angel of God. He's risen, now go to Galilee. Amazing. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. Claire Isabel. They're supposed to tell the disciples that. So verse 8, they went out quickly from the tomb with fear. There's still people like us. And great joy, they're thrilled too, mixed feelings, and they ran to bring his disciples his word. Verse 9, and as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus, is he risen? Is he alive? As they're running to tell the disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, rejoice. So they came and they ran up to him and they fell at his feet and they worshipped him. Now listen to what Jesus says next. Jesus said to them, what? Come on. Ladies, don't be afraid. We need this encouragement all the time. We should be telling each other this all the time because of him, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brethren to go to Galilee and there they will see me. There it is again. What is up with Galilee? He's been crucified. The world has just had the greatest victory, the climax of history. Sin has been conquered. Hope for future. Death is in the grave and has just lost all strength forever. And all they're talking about is go tell the disciples to go to Galilee. Brothers and sisters, Galilee and the resurrection of Jesus Christ go together. And you cannot separate them, and yet I think we do. I'm saying we, all of us. The next passage here is about the soldiers and they're trying to buy off the soldiers so that tell the world a lie that he never rose. Verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away, where? To Galilee. I'm so glad they went to Galilee. To the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. And I love the next three words. But some doubted. Do you know why I love that? Because I also doubt. And I could be filled with so much guilt for all my doubt. But the Lord wants us to know, don't be afraid. And you know what? Sometimes you doubt. Sometimes you question. Sometimes it's more than you think you can chew. Sometimes we're in tough times. There's more than we can handle. But he wants us to know, you know what? I know that. Don't fear. Verse 18, we have what I would call the Galilee sandwich. Have you ever heard that phrase? It's a real good, strong theological term. The Galilee sandwich. Watch this in verse 18. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, this is the bread. This is the bread on the bottom of the sandwich. He says, all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's the base. Based on what he's going to say next, everything for the future, the whole Galilee concept is based on this, that Jesus says, all power, all authority has been given to me on earth. Do you know what that Greek word was? Young people, listen to this. Anybody here of a superhero? Anybody see some of the movies coming out about all the superheroes out there? It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, good job, AJ. Yeah. 
This word right here, all power, is the word that's really all, some will say authority, all power. It could be the greatest, the top, the magistrate. But you know what one of the Greek terms is? I am a superhuman. That's actually in the concept of the Greek, a superhuman. I am above all. He was God. He was human. He was a superhuman. That's in the Greek concept of this phrase. You want to study superheroes? Study Jesus. He makes the superheroes look pretty pathetic every time. He is a superhuman. He's super God. You know what that makes us? Super children. Did you know that? You're a super child. Those movies, they hold nothing to what you can do by the power of God. We're super children. He says, I've been given all power. That's the bread and the sandwich, the bottom piece. Go, therefore. Now he's going to put the filling in the sandwich, the mayonnaise and the meat and the beef and the chicken, or maybe you can't mix I'm not sure. Maybe you're a vegan, so then maybe he's putting some avocado in there, whatever. This is the filler. He says, I've been given all power. Now go, and therefore make disciples of all the ethnos. That's the Greek word ethnos. All the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. That's the middle of the sandwich. That's the based on his power based on the fact that he's a super God, and now we are his super children, he says, now go into all the world. That's Galilee. That's the statement. I have been raised, but brothers and sisters, Jesus was raised from the grave. He has victory over sin and victory over eternity in hell. He has hope forever in heaven for us. That's Galilee. He rose, and he says, now guess what? I want you to go tell everybody. That's missions. And again, missions isn't geography. It's not like, well, to re-engage in missions. Gosh, I've got to go overseas. Well, gosh, I'm 145. I'm not sure I can do that. I've got only one leg. I don't know how I could walk that far. Whatever your excuse. Missions isn't about only going. It's about here. It's about our neighbors. It's about the people we work with. Missions is God's passion that all people would know who he is. Does everybody you work with know who Jesus is? Do they know? Do your neighbors know? That is also part of your mission field. Now, some of you guys are going to put it on your heart. Yeah, there's people. There's still about 2,000 ethnos, people groups that have never, ever, ever heard. We still need a lot of people to go into all the world. Our job isn't done. But for those people to go, we have to have people willing to send, to pray, to encourage, to give, to be behind them. When they come back, you help them. But you're part of the same team. It's not they're the missionaries. We all together reach the world because we're all commanded to go into all the world. This was not a command to just a few. It's to the church. We are all a part of reaching this world. That's Galilee. He rose. He says, now go to Galilee. And I'm going to tell you what to do. Go into all the world. And then the top piece of bread, he says this. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That's the icing on top. That's the top slice of bread. He says, I have all the power, and I'm going to send you out, but guess what? I'm going to go with you all the time. I'll always be there. Brothers and sisters, if God puts on your heart, I want you to go to some remote part of the world and go. If the Lord puts, and trust him. If the Lord puts in your heart, yeah, I'm not sending you, Charlie Brown, but I want you to stay here and work your heart out, but I want you to give sacrificially like crazy. Then do that, and that's going to scare the living bejeebers out of you. Because what about your retirement? What about your security? You know what? He says, let me take care of all those things. Trust him just the same like those sent. Trust him the same. 
It's together we reach this world. And brothers and sisters, when we think of missions, it's what they do. But no, it's what we all do together. What is your role? Then do it with all your might. Pour your heart into it. I heard of somebody recently saying, we should all be shirt tag readers in missions. Well, what the heck is a shirt, shirt tag reader for missions? You know what that is? Try it. If God's called you to be in New Glasgow, praise God. Be confident in that. But every time you get up in the morning, you go to pull your shirt on, read the tag. Where is it made? Bangladesh? Pray for Bangladesh today. Made in China? You'll get to pray a lot for China. But there's a lot of people to pray for. That's okay. Made in Indonesia? Made in the Philippines? Made in India? Made in Canada? We need prayer here too. Pray. There's all kinds of things God could put in your heart to be a part of reaching this world. But get engaged and be a part of it. There's so much we could talk about. I just want to give you a couple closing thoughts. Jesus said, I have been given all power. In the Moi tribe, they had a concept of the ultimate and the strongest. I think it's the best description of our Lord and Savior. The Moi whole culture is based on many, three or four major themes in their culture, but the number one theme was money. But it wasn't money like you and I have. It wasn't paper money. It wasn't gold and it wasn't silver. It was little white shells. Everybody lived. There were special shells. They've been, they were eternal. They've been passed on for generations. They were carved. They were fancy. They, had, they were quite complicated. But everybody longed to have more shell money. To buy a wife, it took a lot of shells. All the uncles and brothers had to give so you can get a wife. Everything you did, if you did, did crime, you had to pay with shell money. Everything was shell money. But they only had about four or five of the, it'd be like a billion dollar bill. They only had four or five of the highest level of the shell money in the entire tribe. And it was called the Joe shell. Joe. And they, whenever, said that, whenever they said the word Joe, they always went, Joe, me, ha, me, 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 tau. It's the highest one and nothing can ever be over it. Because that's the highest value, the highest concept, the highest of anything. Anybody here have a $10 billion bill or a trillion dollar bill? That's what that would be like having. They would always say, it's the only it's the only piece of money that one is sufficient to buy a wife. That's, that's like great value. Some tribes talk about ten pigs and three cows. The Moy is one Joe shell would buy a wife. The highest one, nothing could ever be over it. Our Lord and our Savior is If he's our God, can we go wherever he sends us? If he's our God, if he challenges us to give, can we give? If he's our God, he challenges to get on our knees every single day for 45 minutes. Can we do that? Can we do that? It's impossible in our own strength, I'll be honest. But by the grace of God, we can. Because he is mehemi, mehemi tau. And he says, I have been given all power, and I'm sending you into all the world, and I will always go with you. That's a simple concept. That's Galilee, and you cannot separate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ with Galilee. It's going to cost you, and here's a thought. Christmas costs him. He had to come into this world and live in a painful, difficult, dark, and messy place. Easter, well, let's start with Good Friday. That cost him. He died. He was, thorns are crushed in his head for your sake and mine. He was whipped. The flesh was ripped off his back. The beard was torn off his face. He was nailed to a cross naked for your sake and mine. I'll tell you what, Good Friday cost him a lot, yet we're free to celebrate Good Friday. Easter, he had to conquer death. Right from Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, where God made a promise to Satan, 
I will send a redeemer and Satan, you will be crushed. That finally happened 4,000 years ago on the cross. That cost him huge. But you know what? The next phrase, going to Galilee, that's what costs us. So we don't like to talk about it. It's going to cost you to reach this world, whether at work or whether it's traveling on a Boeing 747 to a far regions of this place. It's going to cost you. But he says, okay, I'm going to go with you, and I'll help cover the cost. There's still 2,000 people groups that have never heard. Can we put our hearts into that? In Canada, we're seeing very low numbers of people getting highly engaged in missions, giving their life. Can we turn that around? Can we care enough to say, I have one life, and Lord, I'll give it to whatever role you want to reach the last 2,000 people groups that have never heard? Let's learn to celebrate Galilee. Let's just pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we can talk about this all day. We could talk to her blue in the face about Galilee and your passion that all people would hear. We could talk and we could talk and we could write books and we could do conferences, Lord, that people need the gospel. People need to be saved from the darkness that they're living in, the fears and the wiles of the devil. Or we could talk about it, but Lord, for us to do it is way beyond what we'll ever be able to do. We know that. You said it without you, we can do nothing. Our hope, our strength depends completely on you. So Lord, I pray you'd encourage us with that. May we not be afraid and say, Lord, whatever you're calling me to do, I'll do. And Lord, we may stand around the throne someday praising you, worthy, worthy as the Lamb. Shoulder to shoulder with the people we've been a part of reaching all around this world. What a thrill. What a thrill. Lord, I pray you'd encourage us with that. Lord, bump us along. In your name we pray. Amen. The video. Thank you. Son, you're probably just sitting there. Is that okay? Four more minutes? Is anybody sleeping yet? Stand up if you are. Stretch. Say, I'm sleeping. Okay. Thank you so much. I want you to see this. It's less than four minutes. This is a video about a man named Dima Patai. When we started teaching in the Moy tribe, the Moy were getting saved. But a brother and sister, and you're going to see them at the very beginning of this clip. You'll see the brother and sister. They said, our father, he's deep in the jungle. We haven't seen him in a long, long time. But he doesn't know this message. As we taught, it took us four months to go from the creation of Christ to the resurrection or creation of the world to the resurrection of Christ. Four months. We taught and we taught, building up the whole way right to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Starting in Genesis, through the Old Testament, the sacrificial system, Israel, Jesus coming. These two, this brother and sister said, we've got to go tell our dad. So after they had heard the teaching for four months, they hiked for a number of days through the jungle to find their dad. They found their dad in a far part of the tribe. They shared with him what they had just heard. He goes, well, I've got to hear more. I want to hear all the teaching. So this old man, you're going to see him in a minute, he's very old. And there's, if, we were, if he was a Canadian, we'd say he's probably about 150, literally. Very old for their standards. We have no idea how old he is. He hikes out. He got to church Sunday morning. Our missionaries hadn't seen him yet. My brother-in-law and sister were there teaching, and they hadn't seen him. This guy shows up in church. Now, that, at this stage in the Moy Church, the white man doesn't teach anymore. It's all the believers that we're discipling and the elders that do the teaching. We just teach them throughout the week. One of the Laoja young men 
he was teaching that day, and there was communion. So after he was finished teaching, he started communion, and he was passing. They don't do bread. They do banana. For, they don't have bread. They have sweet potatoes and bananas for communion. He's passing around their main food to the people for communion. And they got to Dima Patai, this old man, and they, they, this moi, believer, young man, says, you can't have this. You're not a child of God yet. That's, they're very blunt. They are. They're murderous people. Kill, kill, kill all the time. Not as believers, but before they heard the gospel. <laughs> you'll be safe when you come visit them, or in heaven you'll be safe too. He says, you can't have this. You're not a child of God yet. And Dima Patai, an old man, you're going to see him. He goes, oh, but I am a child of God. And this young moi believer says, then tell me, how did he make you his child? And in less than four minutes, he shared the whole story of the Bible. you got to show your neighbors. It's on YouTube. There's a ton of stuff on YouTube from Moy. And so our missionary ran down, got his camera together. Then after church, they went up to their house. So our missionary ran up to is a Browns, a couple that took Kathy and I's place, ran up to his house and said, just tell me what you just told us in church today and filmed it. So you're going to see it's going to be English because you don't know Moy yet, right? Does anybody know Moy? It's in English. He's going to tell you the story of the Bible, and it's about three minutes and 12 seconds for the whole story of the whole Bible. And you tell me, did he miss anything that really, really matters? Did he miss anything that your neighbors need to know? I think he got it all. So let's go ahead and play it, Sonia. Yep. Sure. Sometime over the past couple of years, one of our neighbors, an older couple, has come to know Jesus as their Savior. This has been primarily through the vibrant testimony of their married daughter and teenage son. I recently asked the husband, a frail old man, to share his testimony. Years ago, he was blinded in one eye by a falling branch. Now, from a hard life and old age, his other eye is also failing. Despite being nearly blind, you'll be amazed to hear how well this man can truly see. Here are Dimapatai's unscripted thoughts on Jesus. The thing about Jesus is that because of him, a new cord has been cut for me. That's his umbilical cord that means born again. When he commanded Satan to leave, he left. That's referring to the, the garden and in heaven. Then later on in his story, people had conspired to kill Jesus. Some liked him and some didn't. Then after that, they killed him. In order to kill him, they hung him on a cross. He used the word there for totally dead, complete. They had put a crown of thorns on him. They put nails on this side and this side. He hung on the cross and came to the point of total death. He was then wrapped and placed in a tomb. And after two nights, he rose again on the third day. 
He then went to the place of his father in heaven and wears all white clothes. See? Because of all of our sin, we were all like dead people. As gross as pig dung. Because of his blood, he has washed all our sins away. He has defeated Satan. Now what is Satan? He's defeated. This is a witch doctor who knows Satan well from the past. He has become nothing. We have been united with Christ and we truly live. He is so good and I am so thankful. He holds us like this. Like a mother bird holds her chicks. In the nest, she protects them and keeps them near her. That's exactly what he does for us. Amen. Well, we've just heard the gospel preached by a man who lives in a jungle. Sure. That's Dima Patai. He's with the Lord now. About a year after that, he died. But as he was dying in Mori culture, when somebody's dying, especially an old, respected witch doctor, everybody's petrified. They do all they can to make him happy so he won't haunt them later. But as he was dying, he kept saying to all his relatives, all his friends, everybody knew, he says, don't mourn. He says, I only have one trail. I don't have two trails. I can't go and come back and haunt you. I can only go to heaven. I will not be back. You have no fear. Rejoice with me that I'm going to a far better place where they all wear white clothes. Well, you've heard the gospel, and if you're here this morning and you've never started a journey with a faith with Jesus, you can do that today because his love for the Moya people is not greater than his love for Canadian people. Not greater than his love, uh, well, anyone here this morning, if you haven't started a journey of faith with Christ, I just encourage you to make a choice today to do that. One of the things that is a passion of my heart is that our children and our teens, this generation that is rising up behind us older folks, is so important to instill within them and do all we can to create a passion for the lost, a passion for souls. One of the greatest things that needs to be restored to the church is that very thing, a hunger to see the lost saved. And sadly, a lot of churches and a lot of, well, I'm sure a lot of us here don't, have lost some of that passion or a lot of that passion. I believe that in this hour, God is going to restore that to this church and to many churches. And one of the ways that happens is when you have somebody like Tim and Kathy come and share what they've heard or what we've just heard today. Now, one of the things that you may not know is they don't get paid by a church, or ethnos doesn't pay them. 
They depend solely on the love gifts of God's people to make it possible for them to do what they do. And so we're going to take an offering this morning, and I'm going to ask you to consider a, a, a very generous support to them as a token of, of your appreciation, not just for them, but for what the Lord has done for us. And we're going to just wait before you take that offering up. Uh, we will give, we're going to give people a chance to fill in. Uh, so here's what we're going to do. Uh, there's pens in each pew, and there are sacrifice of praise offerings uh, or envelopes. So take one of those, and if you don't have any money or a checkbook or whatever, you can just write on your name and the amount of what your intention is to give, and we're going to count that into the offering, and we're going to count the offering before we leave this morning so we'll know how to, you know, what the blessing is that we're giving them. So uh, I'm going to encourage you to do that. Just mark uh, Tim on the outside of the offering so we're very clear of what and of what we're giving. And worship team is going to come and lead us in some worship songs as we and we'll we'll give everybody a few minutes to to uh, fill that out. Maybe let a uh, and like I say, we'll we'll count that later. Wednesday night is an extension of what happened here yesterday and the night before. It's an extension of the Fusion Youth Missions Conference. And I'm going to encourage all of you to come. I want you to see some of the teams are going to be sharing, some of the leaders that we're here are going to be sharing. We want to make sure that the church is connected with our youth in the call of God that is upon their lives. And we want to reinforce that call, and we want to support them with all of our hearts. So there's a little letter in your, in your um, uh, bulletin that explains some of that. So by all means, come if you possibly can.